This is episode number 353, Building Long-Term Resilience, with Adam Markell. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement being in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our work by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our recently launched program called Create the Life of Possibilities. What this is, is a 10-week program that we've been developing over the past five to six years of working with people from all over the world in different contexts in helping them rewrite their own story, their personal narrative. If you feel like this is of interest to you and you are looking for ways to reframe, to learn and grow from any or all of the previous events in your own life, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details. Now, let's get back to the show. It's always a thing now with Zoom. Like, I love the adjustments and everything that they've made as far as security goes, but sometimes, like even in our case, right, it creates a little bit of a back and forth. Hey, what's the passcode? I'm in a room. Where are you? <laughs> it's... it's um the the blessing and the curse of technology indeed yeah happens uh far more often but you know it it is what it is i mean i, I wouldn't want to I, I wouldn't want to live in a world without the technology these you know now I and mean, i wouldn't i wouldn't go back to a world before before a lot of the modern technology that is as you said it's kind of a you know bit of a blessing and and it has some things that are are uh you know challenging so yeah but I like I like I like the technology for the most part. I'm the same way. I find it that even though with all with some of the minor hiccups, this version of the world I prefer much more than the version that none of this exists. Yeah. I mean, even I mean, think about it, right? Like we're able to connect <laughs> with people from across the world in a matter of seconds. Yes. It for sure. And and I was going to say, just in fairness, you know, since I've never lived in a time that was pre-technology, although I'm old, I'm a bit older than you. So I can remember, honestly, when when cell phones were not were not a thing and all that kind of, you know, old schooly stuff about, you know, uh, fax machines or beepers and even before that. So I do kind of I know what that world was like. And and it was um you were you were just much more on your own, and and I think there's some benefits to the the 
how how you have to show up when you're when you are on your own more. I mean, of course, we didn't. Again, as I was growing up, there was no other than in sci you know sci-fi uh, books or or movies and things. What the future was like was still you know way out in front of us, and and um, and so there was no reference point. But but I just remember you had to be really quite reliant, self-reliant. Um, and, and there was freedom in that to some extent, like, you know, my parents didn't know where I was most of the day, even, even, you know, like coming home from school, uh, I'd come home, maybe I'd do my homework for a half hour, whatever it was. And then I was right out the door and they wouldn't see me again until dinner. Yeah. And, and the only requirement was, it was sort of like a, uh, you know, don't make me come downstairs looking for you. <laughs> you know, it's like, which where I grew up would have first been somebody opening up a window and, and calling out, you know, screaming out your name or whatever. Uh, and I, I do remember there was one kid in the neighborhood who didn't quite uh, take all that, you know, whatever that, uh, the requirements very seriously. And his mother would routinely come out of the house. It was just after dark or whatever. And we, we were all getting ready to go home too, but she, she just wasn't waiting on him. And she, she came out of the house, grab him by his ear or, or by the back of his, you know, of his, uh, you know, his scruff and uh, his hair and pull him away and, you know, screaming and, and crying and all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, you know what? Today, today we, we have a very different way of communicating and there's some really ble great blessings in that. And then there's some things that I've just been reading about lately. I don't know if you caught this article about these kids uh, in a high school in Manhattan. And this, you know, maybe this is a digression. We'll see. Um, I actually think it's it's on point to the things that that I find myself uh, most interested in about and writing uh, about, speaking about these days. Um, these kids, they they uh, they started with one girl. She decided she didn't want a smartphone anymore. She just didn't want to have to constantly be checking in all the time as she was. Like, couldn't even help herself. Like, she had enough self awareness. Pretty amazing in high school. Anyway. Um, to think, well, if I have this app on my phone, I can delete the app. You know, lots of kids do that. They'll delete the Instagram app or whatever app, you know, but then they reinstall it and they're back at it. And, you know, they go back in the, you know, so this roller coaster of, um, I want to be a part of that whole scene. And then, man, that whole scene is, is just causing me nothing but anxiety and pain. <laughs> and the last thing in the world I want to be is part of that scene. And so it's back and forth, right? So this kid had, she she decided she's going to get rid of her cell phone, her smartphone. Um, and then a girlfriend of hers, you know, decided to join her. And then they decided to create a little society, a little club. Um, and and uh, and it's called the Ludite. I believe it's the Ludite Society or something like that. Ludite Club. Um, and then all of a sudden, dozens of kids in this high school started giving up their smartphones and their parents freaked out like you would think a lot of parents might say that's amazing you're right you don't need to spend all that time you know staring at your phone like breathe some air go out and you know cause some trouble but you know whatever live live the life of a kid you know the way we did before all this technology sure. mm -hmm. existed right so um the parents were upset about it and in part the reason for their upset was because, and this this is what caught me off guard, was that they were using this smartphone, among other things, to track the whereabouts of their kids. So that 
they could know wherever their kids were at any point in time of the day, you know, like back when we used to cut school, we didn't have any technology that would follow us. So it was like, you cut school, and unless the teachers caught you or whatever, or it was a random call to your house or something, you know, you were pretty in the clear. Uh, Now kids go wherever they go and their parents know exactly how it is because they're tracking them. So in the end, and this this was pretty funny, the parents kicked up a whole fuss and the kids agreed in this Luddite society, they agreed to just get flip phones so that their parents could at least call them or they could call their parents from, you know, like wherever. And, uh, and I thought, man, that's, that's a really interesting, I know we started in like out of thin air talking about the tech stuff. Um, and, and I thought that's a really interesting thing happening in the world right now where there's this technology that's available and yet there's a conscious decision to sort of not utilize it or to utilize it all the time or, or to its fullest extent because there's something that you give up in that process. And that's what these kids are exploring. I thought that was way cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because it just takes me back to my own days when I was a kid. And even with the workarounds of getting a call home about skipping class, there were workarounds around that, right? There were things I figured out, okay, if you skip this class, but you don't skip that one, you don't get a call back. So just don't skip the one that Exactly right. So there, there are things to get around those things. But I, I also think that what you just mentioned, it's an interesting concept, because it, it kind of points to the point that how technology is used is completely up to you. You could use technology as something that helps you move forward, or you can use technology as something that possibly holds you back. And I think even the whole thing with apps, I mean, that's a I don't think that's a generational problem. I think that's probably an issue for anyone who uses a smartphone. You know, I was very fortunate to two years ago, I think, maybe it's been three years, to actually intentionally turn off notifications on all the apps. No exceptions. Gmail, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. I went into the settings. I intentionally turned them off. So now it's a conscious choice that I make to go into each one to see what's going on or what messages or what things that I'm needed to respond to. And that changed a lot of my anxiety. I was less depressed when it came to a lot of that. So I think the solutions are out there. It's more so what are the solutions that we want to accept in our lives, right? Which actually kind of brings me – brought me up to another point that I wanted to ask you going back to when you were a kid or however young you were compared to where you are now, would you say that the level of resilience required to operate back then compared to now, what is, what is the difference? Is it greater? Is it less? Because we do have so much more at our hands, but then at the same time, it all depends how we use it. Right. I love that question. Oleg. it's a great, uh, you know, to me, it's it's a great place to leg into the conversation because uh, a lot of people think, for example, that that resilience is something you're born with. Sure. Or of it, some people have less of it. So I'll just sort of debunk that myth right out of the gate. Um, you're, it's not a thing that people are born with uh, in greater supply or lesser supply. So, and and by that, you might say, well, Adam, how do you know that? Or you know, what's your basis of information? Well. Uh, I'm a researcher. I've been studying this topic now for many years. I speak. I'm a keynote speaker in a 
and a workshop facilitator. We, we lead groups of people talking about things like change. I wrote a book called Change Proof this earlier this year. The book before that was called Pivot. So I've got a, I got a minute or two on the topic. I'm not saying I, I, I know it all by any means, um, but I will say, you know, our research has revealed some important things, which we'll get into some of those today, hopefully, uh, this being one of them. So it's not something you're necessarily born with. Uh, it's something that you acquire. It's something that you you not only can acquire, but you can acquire it at any age. You can strengthen it at any age, um, which means that you can you can work on this particular skill set when you're 20 years old, when you're 60 years old, doesn't that part of it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, obviously, the more time, like with anything, you want to be a great pianist, you'll you'll want to have enough time to develop the the skills, practice and practice and practice some more so that you can become a better and better player. Uh, resilience is the same thing. You, you do have to practice it. Uh, you have to perform it. So the question is, in my experience, was, was it easier or harder or was uh, resilience more or less required, let's say, before there was so much technology versus today? That's um, a really wonderful, we have not, research that particular thing. But what we've seen is that when when people are put in adverse situations, more often than not, people, generally speaking, rise up. They rise to the occasion. Um, so it is a little bit of the what doesn't kill you makes you stronger thing. That's why when studying uh, children who have experienced early life adverse experiences, traumas, if you will, um, oftentimes those early life traumas lead to greater and greater amounts of resilience later in life. They, they are more resilient later. The other aspect though of those, what is known as these uh, early, early age traumas or adverse experiences is that it creates some physical challenges for people. So when you're traumatized early in life, often what you see is somebody that has some physical manifestation of that trauma later later in their lives. So mm -hmm. the goal here is not to put your kid or or to be put through a trauma in, in, in life so that you can become more resilient later. Uh, it's just one feature of resilience. So yeah, back when we didn't have a lot of a lot of technology that makes it easy to sort of um, get get answers to things. We had to figure those things out. We had to go to the library or open up a encyclopedia or ask somebody a question or honestly just remain curious, follow our curiosity until we found an answer or we gave up the pursuit. You know, today you literally can put, pick up your phone as I can now and just go, hey, Siri, tell me you know, or go to Google or whatever, and I get an answer. So there's an element of before technology, we had to be a little bit, a little bit more tenacious, a little more persevering, a little more ingenious, if you will. We had to sometimes uh, be a, uh, a even more adept at making do with, with what we had. So like to to improvise, if you will. And those skills of improvisation, those skills of agility or, or mental agility to be able to sort of figure things out without a simple hack that you can find in this very, very sophisticated device, um, you know, that made us a bit more self-reliant, as we said earlier. 
a bit stronger in the sense that we could we knew we could count on ourselves. You know, when we would navigate, this is a really great example. When I was first learning how to drive, and I guess I, I really am dating myself here. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like you wanted to go someplace. You either knew how to go there or if you were in the car with somebody else, like your parent or whoever, or your buddies, because you were taking a car that you probably yeah, shouldn't yeah, be driving yeah, yeah. or whatever. You know, it's like people would tell you where to go or you would know how to go. Otherwise, you pulled out something called a map. I know this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> It was like a physical beast, like this uh, big, like folded up piece of paper with a map of the area that you were driving around in. And you had to figure out your path using the map. Or, and this was the way I learned uh, growing up in, in New York, in a borough. Uh, it's a little little town called Queens. I don't know if you heard of it. Or yeah, like yeah. A little suburb of Manhattan. Uh, and... And when I was learning how to drive, my dad used to call it a sense of direction. And so you just had to develop a sense of direction as in here I am. And, you know, not kind of like a boy scout, like where's the sun and, you know, when's it going to set and what's Northeast, Southwest, whatever. But you just got a sense of where am I headed and how could I get there? You know, it's almost like I'm creating a matrix in my head of the city streets and they go parallel or they go perpendicular or there's a highway. I mean, you have to figure stuff out. And so just from a mental agility standpoint, I think we were we were developing our resilience muscles in a way that when I look at my own kids today or I look at other people's children who don't have to do those kinds of things, we don't yet know whether their their mental agility or their the resilience that's developed through that kind of self-reliance is going to produce less resilience in the future than in the past because we don't have the data yet to to opine on that. And so much of that is also, I think, dependent on I, I love the analogy that you brought up as far as having a sense of direction. I think that could be translatable into everyday life, right? Within everyday life, you have so many different uncertainties, so many different challenges thrown at you, depending on what you interact with, who you interact with. And having that um, understanding that there is going to be uncertainty, there's going to be change, but the fact that you have this feeling that you've done this before in other parts of your life, right? Therefore, it's possible to achieve it again. And I think it directly relates to what you just mentioned as far as developing that muscle enough over time so that it almost becomes habitual. Oh, I've been in a similar circumstance before. It might not be the same exact thing, but it's close enough that it gives me confidence that I might be able to do it again. Yeah. I mean, you really sum summarize that um, much more quickly than I did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're um, learning. <laughs> this is the whole point. We're learning from one another. <laughs> and I'm, I'm holding my phone because one of the things that I love about this, because I, because here's the thing, right? I'm just to not confuse the message uh, that I'm conveying. Um, you know, I'm not saying technology is is getting in the way of our resilience. In fact, it can really be an assist right it can assist us just yeah. the way those kids we talked about earlier um are are using their technology differently they have flip phones now they don't have smartphones that's their that's their story at the moment who knows what will be in the future 
you know, for me, I use this phone. I, I use the do not disturb feature similar to the way that you describe. Yeah. I also I also wear a piece of technology on my finger called an aura ring, which many people I have heard of those. Can you explain briefly what that is? Yeah, I mean it's and I'm not a I'm not a spokesperson, but it's O-U-R-A, by the way, it's aura ring. And and in essence, it monitors a lot of my 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 bodily uh, my biorhythms. It measures my sleep. It measures lots of things about my sleep. It measures quite a number of things about my readiness, my my mental readiness, um, and and even my physical readiness to some degree as well. Um, and I check in with this thing routinely. So I'm going to do this live with you right now, or even though we're recording, uh -huh. I'm going to do it right in this moment to see what was my sleep score last night. So. I'll show it to you. I'll put it up on the on the screen. Oh wow! Here. Okay. So, so I had an optimal sleep score of eighty nine. Now I've had some sleep scores over ninety, um, and I've had some sleep scores that were not good at all. But last night, what optimal meant was my total sleep. And here it goes. I'll give you the uh, the statistics. Total sleep was seven hours and thirty four minutes. Efficiency was eighty seven percent. Restfulness was good, not great. REM sleep. One hour, 42 minutes, 22% of my sleep was in REM. Deep sleep, one hour, 48 minutes, almost identical, 24% uh, in deep sleep. Latency was 11 minutes. Um, timing was optimal. So some of the things that they measure, for example, are how quickly you fall asleep. Now, some people, if I said, you know, what's a good sign of, of a restful sleep? Whether you, you know, take a while to fall asleep or whether you fall asleep right away. So, Oleg, I'm going to ask you this question. You'd be my guinea pig. What's what's your answer? How say repeat that one more time? A question is: Is it better to fall asleep quickly or to take a little time falling asleep? What do you think? Like, just what's your gut tell you? Probably fall asleep quickly. Okay, it's it's actually falling asleep after a little while, and 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 it makes sense when I tell you the reason. So sometimes when I look at you know, what they're measuring, it takes me like one minute to fall asleep. Can you imagine? You lay down, you get your pillows all straight. And oh, it takes like, me at least an hour. Like 60 seconds later, you're, you're sleeping is a sign that you're exhausted or that you are mm. so tired that your body, given the first chance to pass, <laughs> yeah. pass the F out, you pass out, right? Um, so that's not a good sign that, that your body got enough recovery during the day. And so that's why you passed out so quickly. It, optimal is like about 15 minutes. Take taking 10 to 15 minutes before you fall asleep. That's the latency that they're that they are uh, that they're measuring. That's actually really really good. So you know that's a bit of my sleep. Now let's take a look at my readiness. So my readiness score was an 86, which was also it turns out to be optimal. So. Clearly last night, that, that made a lot of sense. And this goes with resting heart rate, which was a 53 beats per minute. The HRV, which is a heart rate variability, variability balance, that was good, not great. Body temperature was optimal. Recovery index actually was optimal. Sleep was optimal. Sleep balance was optimal. Previous day activity was good. I didn't have enough activity the day before. And activity balance was optimal. So my lowest heart rate, was a 53. The average heart rate I had was a 56. Now, this is the key right here. Getting my lowest heart rate, they measure when that occurred. 
And when it occurs right before waking, like when my lowest heart rate is at 6 a.m. or something like that, then it's showing that I'm not actually ready to mm. get because where you want or where it's more natural when you are are in a in a more optimal state you will find that your lowest heart rate occurs somewhere in the middle of your sleep cycle so if you're in eight hour sleep it will happen somewhere around the four hour mark sure and last night i got to bed it'll tell me when i got to bed but my lowest heart rate happened at 2 a.m and i went to bed uh at let's see what time does it say i was in bed when was I in bed last night? I was in bed at 10.30. Okay. So, yeah, about four hours into my sleep, that's when my 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 heart rate hit the lowest mark, which is why I got an optimal score today. So I guess all that to say, you know, the technology is very powerful. This is one of those great tools. Like, I look at my activity. Yesterday, I had a crappy activity. And today, I'm being given a warning sign because at this point, I've been up since, you know, early in the morning. And it's saying that I've had too much, I've too, had two hours and five minutes of inactivity already. And so inactivity being sitting, not walking or exercising or just in, in some mode of activity, whether it's you know, doing yoga or doing something, you know? So that's, that tells me, you know, I've got to spend some part of the rest of my day being more active. Yeah. Cause, cause it's a reminder that this is how you create, you know, more optimal conditions for sleep, more optimal conditions for when you're awake. So, you know, the things that contribute to being at your best circadian and ultradian night and day uh, and the rhythms that occur during those times, that's what to me resilience is. Resilience in, in the book, Change Proof, we talk about this. Resilience is not about grit, even though people have written about it that way. It's not about... Uh, endurance. It's not about grinding. Yes, there's an element of the mental side of perseverance and tenacity that's baked into being a resilient person. Um, but so much of it today is being re-understood re, re, re or understood for the first time differently um, that it's not about in how we endure. It's about how we restore. It's mm. about recovery. That's what resilience is created from which is a different paradigm for sure. Going back to sleep, do you use an alarm? I do use an alarm, um, but that alarm- Like is a standard one of those, you know, it's a fire in the house type of thing or no? You know what? It, it really depends. Um, if I'm getting up early, you know, if I have an early call for something, then I use an alarm. If I don't, I allow my natural body rhythms to wake me up and- the, the thing that if you don't have something that would worry you about missing, you could test this out for yourself. You just say, um, you know what? I feel like I should really be up at 8.15 tomorrow. Like I, I need a better night's sleep. I don't have a lot going on until mid-morning, um, which again, you know, some of us do and some of us don't. And it's really more by design often. Sometimes it's not because we're working a job or whatever, right? We don't always have control over that. But let's just say I'm getting up. I want to get up at 8.15. Call it a Saturday, if you will, Right. Just test that idea the night before. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I get up at 8.15, no alarm, go to bed. See if you don't wake up within five minutes at that time. I Utterly do. Amazing. Oh, yeah. It's mind-blowing. So your computer is so much more advanced than, <laughs> yes. than those computers, right? 
I've uh, I've stopped using an alarm for probably going closer to half a year by now. Mm-hmm. I I was traveling and I heard a friend of mine share this concept where she doesn't use an alarm. Instead, she lets the natural sunlight wake her up. And I remember just listening to that story. I was like, wow, that is so genius, but it makes like complete sense. Because before I would use an alarm and I would have one of those very loud sirens. And then I'm waking up anxious, already on alert, like what's going on. And it, and it makes sense, right? Like you're shocking your system, not in the slightest of way, but hey, house is burning down type of scenario, depending on the sound that you choose. And so I stopped using it and you are absolutely spot on. It's almost like visualization in its purest form. You visualize the result that, hey, I'd like to get up by 8 8 a.m., not 8 p.m., maybe 8 p.m. for some people, 8 a.m. And I'll wake up at 745, 750, 8.15, 8.05 on the dot. I would say there has not, maybe with a few exceptions, where I would wake up an hour later. 99% of the time, it's within five to 10 minutes. And that to me has just been fascinating. Like, how does that happen? Because we have an internal clock and we just don't always set it. Like you said, it's very much intentionality. It's, you know, visualization too. It's, It's just recognizing that there's a lot of tech that's already built inside of us. Yeah. How do we use the tech that is the greatest tech of all. It is, you know, there is no, it's the original tech, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. unless, unless you're, you know, you're going to go back to the creation story or talk about religion and all that kind of thing. Um, but I, I, where, where, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm, you know, on in that camp as well. So yeah, we're the greatest tech and we're part of the greatest, you know, the tech of the universe, which is infinite. Do you ever find any of that just mind blowing? how our body is able to operate and do all of these truly fascinating things and how for me, like I took that, I definitely take that for granted on some regard. I mean, even how I'm able to process and intake, right. Oxygen exhale. Like I'm not thinking about doing it right now, but it's happening. It's allowing me to have this conversation with you and continuing to have it. One of those particles changes I die. That is just mind blowing. It is. It's trippy. I mean, it's, there's a, it's a miracle. I mean, it's really and truly a a bona fide miracle that we're alive. Given the, the sheer number of ways that we could perish. I mean, we are so vulnerable. We are like, I mean, I don't care what, you know, the strong, pick the strongest human on the planet, whoever that might be, you know, and that person has skin. <laughs> and at any moment in time, something can pierce that skin and cause that person to, to expire within minutes. So it, it's like, you know, there's a bazillion ways that, that we could not be here. And yet we are all here and, and we are already resilient. We are already a testament the human races to to resiliency um and clearly our earth is quite resilient and everything on this blue green piece of dirt that's spinning in infinite space is quite resilient 
um, and is evolving. So, you know, there's there's just a lot of, there's a lot to the topic and, and where it intersects in my life today is that I, I get to speak to primarily individual leaders and teams of leaders for organizations about how they drive resiliency as a as more than just a concept to create a better workplace and workspace mm. for people. Because there's you know there's a lot of there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of exhaustion and there's a cost to that exhaustion everywhere we look and you know the great resignation and things like that are are not they're not anomalies they're they're just a sign that that there's there's something that's not working there's a, there's some dis disease disease it's just a sign that there's something that's that's not working and and it's a good sign when we see that so to me when we we see people that are are uh, either voluntarily giving up their jobs or or quietly quitting their jobs because they've got to kind of put themselves in a in a more uh, sustainable mode of working um, that that's more in in alignment with with taking care of themselves than it is in alignment with just laying on the train tracks for whoever's paying their you know giving them a paycheck um, yeah, that's a good sign that's not a bad thing and but from an employer standpoint we have to actually do something with that information so that we can make it better. That's, you know, to me, the, the great uh, opportunity in all of this. When did you start to develop an interest into this topic? Like what even inspired this whole path and this whole journey that you're on? I mean, it's been a, it's been a minute now because I was a lawyer for 18 years. So I, I definitely have the credentials to speak about workaholism. I mean, I was a- <laughs> 90 hour a week, you know, uh, while oh, yeah. I was, while my wife and I were just getting going in life and having a bunch of kids, we ended up with four, thankfully, all healthy, amazing, wonderful human beings. Um, and I was, I was working my way to, you know, like working, 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 like digging my own grave, it felt like at a point. Um, so you remember I, when that used to be fun? 90, I mean, 90 hour weeks? Oh, yeah, I do, actually. Because there's an exhilaration in it. There's a, there's an. It, it was satisfying to my ego on some level that I could that I could push myself that hard because it was a little like sports, you know, like that yeah. you train really hard for something, and then instead of getting in a game and, and hitting a winning shot or something, you know, for me it was winning a case in court or it was making a bunch of money, and and those those thrilling moments were fueling the other you know the this tireless run on you know run 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 on the wheel kind of thing um it wore off pretty quick though i i practiced for 18 years so i didn't i didn't i didn't leave the profession quickly um and in part that was because i was i was slow to recognize what was happening honestly i was a little oblivious um to recognize the symptoms and and one of the the symptoms that occurred uh, later in the process, sort of midway, was I ended up in the hospital um, having a having uh, heart palpitations. I was, you know, came in sweating profusely, like classic cardiac event uh, stuff. You know, heart felt like it was on the outside of my body. Um, my fingers were numb and tingling. I was dizzy, nauseous, 
they put me on a gurney, they hook me up to all the electrodes and stuff. And then eventually the doctor comes to see me um, and my wife. And he says, look, your heart is fine. <laughs> not, not a heart attack. That's what he said. Um, you're having something else. It's called, and you probably could imagine what he said, um, an anxiety attack. Because you're having a panic attack, buddy. That's what you're experiencing. So that was one of those midpoint moments where, and it hit me in midlife. Like it was a, you know, classic having, could have the go down the midlife crisis road. Um, and ultimately, as the as the story goes, I ended up having a midlife calling instead of the midlife crisis, which just meant um, when I was in this kind of confusion, confused state, um, I didn't know what to do. I was I was ashamed. I didn't want to tell anybody uh, that I'd been to the hospital with a panic attack. I mean, it was a lot of stigma around mental health. There still is, yes. but, not, but not as much, right? So um, I didn't. Just, I just wore it. I just I just went back to things as you know as best I could, and and then I got introduced to a book called The Road Less Traveled by Dr. Scott Peck, and when I read that book. It opened my mind to the idea that um, that I could choose a road less traveled for myself, and and that road less traveled was not to necessarily just continue to do something, and 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 grind away at, at a profession that I felt like was was sucking my soul. So I didn't. Wow. I stopped. But after a period of about two and a half years, I wrote this book in the process of, 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 you know, my reinvention and pivots a book about, about the art, the science of, of career and, uh, and personal reinvention. So um, once I did that, I knew, you know, I was not going to go back to that, even though I had, I harbored the thought every once in a while, you know, what would it be like to go back to practicing law? Um, no, I hung it up. I retired. And um, and got on a different path, man. And and so that path, as it looked, you know, so in this book, Pivot, to go back to your question, there is a chapter, and I, I literally, this is ironic, because I I have not opened this book up. I don't remember. You know, it's, a, it's just a copy sitting on my desk. I haven't opened it up. I opened, literally opened it up to chapter 10, which is resilience. Huh. So I don't know how you do that. Yeah, That's, it's meant to be. Call, call that what you want for people that, believe you know don't believe in uh you know that believe in randomness i suppose so i don't know if that was random but so there's a chapter in the book about resilience and then some years later uh having gone into some other work i was a ceo of a large company for about six years and and that didn't end well my my exit from that company was the result of falling out i had with my then partners and so it was a whole shit show um and i <laughs> I was figuring out my life again, you know, sort of seven, eight years after I left the law, I was figuring it out again. Um, I went and read my own book or actually listened to the audible version of my own book, which was my voice, which was painful <laughs> and weird. Um, but I started to realize um, that as I reinvented yet again, that the book pivot with a chapter about resilience is not the story of my life. The story of my life is more that it, it's the resilience story with a chapter in that book about pivoting. Um, 
So that's why this book change group came out to talk about how you actually develop a, a mindset and a resiliency with change so that no matter what changes occur, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever they might be in the moment, um, that it's net, it's always net positive. Mm. How do you do that? Where does that begin? I mean, that's a big question. And and honestly, uh, self, it's self-serving, but the book Change Proof will give, you know, is, is a good, good resource for that. You know, it starts with awareness to answer the question. It always will begin with awareness. So assessing your own, where you are in, in a moment in time, like a snapshot of your resilience is a great place to begin. Like, how do you deal with change now? And how do you feel uh, in the world that we're living in, in this moment? So I, I can tell you that people go to rankmyresilience.com, rankmyresilience.com. Um, we keep that, that uh, that's a, a like a landing page for an assessment that people can take in three minutes for free. So it's completely a uh, complimentary thing. Uh, two to three minutes is all it takes to get your snapshot of where you are. I took it this morning. You know, I mean, I've taken it dozens and dozens of times, but your resiliency can look different depending on, on a number of things going on in your life, going on in the world around you. It's really powerful to just know, you know, am I in, a, in, the, in an optimal state in this moment or not? Just like I checked in earlier with the aura, sure. mm -hmm. you know, thing. Because it's like, well, if I got a great night's sleep last night, I had optimal sleep and readiness and all that kind of stuff. Well, a week from now, I can't rely on my score from the prior week. It doesn't yes. work. So it's it's a moment to moment. It's a day to day practice. And and truthfully, not not to sound motivational here, um, I, I think that's just what life is about, whether it's in business or in your personal affairs. You've got to you've got to take each day as its own, its own, you know, special thing, its own unique thing. Um, and, and I want to be the most resilient mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, that I can be for today. And then tomorrow I've got to do the work again. It, it'll, I, I, it's, we reset and start new tomorrow if we're lucky because I gave a TED talk a few years back um, about loving loving your life, and and ultimately it it tells the story of me in the hospital um, and what I what my next step was in in in, in on the pivot path, and um, and I I've been saying the same the same mantra every day uh, since long before that TED talk, which is I wake up in the morning I put my feet on the floor. And instead of feeling sort of the anxiousness and dread even that I used to feel before that, my my fake heart attack or my fart attack, as my wife likes to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, when I put my feet in the floor, instead of feeling that way, I say I love my life. I say it out loud. I feel it inside. I feel gratitude for my for the fact that I'm being given this this new opportunity today. You know, because in that moment, there are people all over the world who are taking their last breath or or didn't even get to wake up to see that next that new day. So it's just so easy to be grateful in the morning to start in gratitude and everything. It's like when my first domino of the day is gratitude, the day just man, it's it's one sort of seeming miracle after another when 
when I start on the right foot, as, as my grandmother used to say. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been a very interesting, long, winding, beautiful road, but it's one, you know, to the point where this is my, my content and this is what I'm so uh, profoundly uh, interested in. We started researching some years ago, uh, more than 5,000 people have taken that resilient leader assessment now. That's what we call uh -huh. it, leader assessment. And um, and we just get this data all the time. So it's constantly being refreshed. We're constantly learning from it. It's uh, it's actually pretty cool. It's really interesting that you mentioned how so much of this is just dependent on your upper approach or your outlook or really mindset, right? I had a friend of mine who was also a guest on this show however many months ago he had shared this concept that he looks at every single day as his January 1st moment. So instead of waiting for January 1st to come, he looks at every day as a possible January 1st. And I just remember sitting there and thinking about how simple and yet profound of an impact such a thing can have, right? I mean, I remember times, I don't know if you remember times when I would wait until actual January 1st, I would build up all of this energy, all this intensity. I would write down all these changes that I want to introduce in my life. Well, January 1st, January 1st hits, I do some of them, I do none of them. And I realize it's like, what's the point of waiting? If every day is truly a new opportunity to start over, which depending on your outlook, it really can be. I mean, we're living in a time, I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine where he said the same exact thing. He said, think about this. Every single day that we get to experience, every new day we get to experience has not happened before. How crazy is that? Every single day is a new day in history. And that's true for every single person that's alive right now. There is no person who is ahead of us in the given moment. Like we're all in the same moment. And I thought that was very interesting because at the same time, it creates this opportunity for a reset. You were talking about, you know, your, uh, let's say, lack of exercise or activity from the days before. Well, sure. Like, Circumstance happen. We have different events that get introduced into our lives that require our time. But I think the beauty of what you're saying as well is that even with resilience, every single day can be a day when you start working on developing it, making it greater, gaining greater clarity of what that even looks like in your life. Because for every person, it's going to be different, right? If I share my story or concept of resilience, it might be different than yours or anyone else. But I think going back to even how we started this conversation or how the point that you made about are people born with it or are people born with more of it and less and less of it <laughs> and ultimately you know people just have elements of it. I think that's the thing that I'm finding more interesting is that I believe all of us have some elements of it and then the other parts get developed. Right? And so over time, it's just like a, it's a muscle. I mean, I think it's fair to assume that regardless of who you are, you're born with some muscle. Whether it's big, small, whatever, you have some 
element of it. And then if you choose to go to the gym, in this case, if you clock into the school of life every day, right, you get an opportunity to develop it. We have the resilience of our ancestors. We have the resiliency of our of our species. That's yeah. again, we are we are a you know marvel of evolution, a miracle, if yeah. you will, in so many ways, as you said earlier. So it's like, yeah, we're we're already built from from really, really good stuff, like we are. And and yet we we uh, we get in our own way in certain in so many ways, again, when we think about our resilience uh, research and this assessment, it's it's built upon four different things. It's mental, it's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's holistic, in other words. So there's so many ways that we are either adding to our resiliency by what we are doing, what we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're eating, what we're drinking, what we're breathing, all of that. It's either additive or, or it is in some way uh, subtracting from that. I like to think of it like a, a like a bank account. Somebody, um, we make reference to this in, in the book as well. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, a way to look at this from the standpoint of a, like a bank account that, that resiliency in, in many ways is just like your bank balance. You're either adding more than you take out or you're taking out more than you add. So in the case where you're, de- where, where you're subtracting more than you actually put in, you're in overdraft and we know yeah. bank send you a little love letter when you're in overdraft. You got some bank fees to pay. <laughs> bank fees to pay, exactly. With the price you pay for that. And then when you put in more than you take out, you have a surplus. And that surplus is what we need going forward when the when we're living as we have always lived in times of great uncertainty. Uncertainty is is the certainty. That's what we know to be true always that things will change, things will evolve, things will be unknown to us, we'll be kind of moving or moving forward in the dark a lot of the time. We convince ourselves or we fool ourselves into thinking that we have more, that there's more certainty than there really is. So that's why when, when things happen and people aren't expecting it, it can really take them out. And it can take them out, not just in a moment, but for lengths of time. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, developing your resiliency is very much by adding more than we subtract so that we have a surplus when we when we will be called for, you know, when it be, will be needed and it will be needed, you know, for sure. So how do you add more? Well, you just you you through through the work in this book, we talk about contrib- creating rituals for recovery on a very, in a very conscious way. So, you know, it's everything from monitoring my sleep to what it is that will contribute to greater, better, healthful sleep and rest uh, at night. But then it's also, where can I recover throughout the day? 60 seconds at a time. I don't need a lot of time for recovery. You know, our, our research says that the optimal recovery period is 10 to 30 minutes, but I don't always have 10 to 30 minutes even. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And it's just about making a decision that I'm going to be more resilient today. I'm going to add more to my resilience bank account than I'm going to take away. How do I do that becomes the the, the, the little uh, nitty gritty details. Um, but they're not, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not complicated. 
there, it's not rocket science to figure out how to actually strengthen yourself in all those those ways that that are are uh, going to contribute to your greater energy to face whatever it is. And I don't mean bad things. You know, we need energy for good things. We need energy to be creative, to be collaborative, to be. For some of us, we need energy to be around other people because we're not necessarily, you know, a extrovert. So, you know, it's you'd rather be alone because that's how you gather energy. Um, so to be around other people, it actually takes energy. You need to have, have a surplus of energy then to be in the presence of others. You got to know just knowing those things about yourself. The awareness piece is so fundamental. Adam, how do people connect with you? Where can people find the books? And what do you have going on right now? Thank you, Owen. I love that, love that you're, you're allowing me to do that. Um, AdamMarkel.com. There's a full website there with information about uh, what I do, what our team does, uh, you know, how we could interact and play. We've got a great podcast as well called Change Proof. So you can find that in the, all the places that you find your podcast. Uh, the books are available on Amazon. You can go to the website, of course. You can go to Change Proof. Um, on my adammarkell.com site, or you can go to changebook.com itself to get the book there, the latest book. And, and lastly, I, I always want people to get their own snapshot of their resilience in this moment. It takes three minutes or even less, actually. You go to rankmyresilience.com and take your own resilience assessment, and uh, there'll be some free resources that you get as a result of that too. But uh, the awareness, again, is so fundamentally key so that you can be more resilient um, for everything that, that you most want to show up for in your life. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, Consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.